0: Hi, I'm Joe, and I'm Ricky, and this is the Season 3, Episode 6 episode of Beer and Broadband Podcast, and uh, we should be putting this episode out on May 11th, 2020, and uh, today we're going to talk about working from home and... Apps and Cisco certs, and it's kind of some more stuff that's more in the wheelhouse of stuff that we've done traditionally in the past. But first, we're going to talk about beer, and we're going to talk about uh, one of our favorite beers that we've had in the past was Dragon's Milk. Um, but they released a different bourbon barrel aged stout that's a white stout that's called Dragon's Milk White. Now, this was a limited release, I believe. It's um, 6% ABV. It's uh, from you know uh, New Holland Brewing, I think. and that that who does this? I can't remember. It's uh their are brewed in Holland, Michigan. Yeah, New Holland Brewing Company. And um, it says smooth, creamy, legendary, and that is pretty much it as far as what they put out there about the beer. And I've had this one before. I actually had saved one because it was limited release. I was going to drink it, you know, like share it with you and um, ended up not being able to like meet in person <laughs> to record mm-hmm. this episode. So fortunately you found some, um, which is great.
1: I did, yeah. On the long list of things you sent me that you had, this was the only one I could find because all of the like creature and six packs that normally do for the craft beers, all that was just empty and it has been for weeks. But there was a four-pack of this, so I was able to grab that.
0: And it's, and it's a good thing, too, because uh, after you know you were kind of like, eh, you know, I didn't get this, or this didn't happen, I was like, well, I guess, I guess I'll guess i just drink this, because <laughs> we won't be talking about it on the show. But mm-hmm. uh, now, now you have it, so what do you think about it?
1: Oh, so I actually want to do something a little bit different for this. I want okay. you to educate me on what in the world a white stout is while I drink this, because I've never had one and never even heard of them.
0: Oh, okay. So, a white stout is one that is brewed in the stout method, but it is not um, brewed with dark malty, dark malts. Um, okay. So, it's cold-steeped... Um, uh, here, it says... Um, it, on the Octo, October.co, I guess it's a, a, um, one, one of the, you know, Oktoberfest kind of websites. Mm-hmm. It says um, it's brewed with cold, steep coffee, cocoa nibs, vanilla beans. Uh, it's high-protein wheat and oats. Give it the full-body feel. Um, and so you get a creamy beer. Uh, with a strong malty backbone, which is kind of what makes a stout, you know, like a stout, it's creepy and malty. Yeah. Um, and, and less uh, wheaty or ailie. Um So that would be it.
1: Okay. Well, this is actually pretty dang good. Um, I didn't really know what to think because i would never had one before. And the dragon's milk are generally fairly strong, but this is only 6%. But this is really nice, actually. It's very light. It is a little bit sweet, and you can taste the vanilla. But it's just, it's almost like, you know, I used to drink a lot of, like, wheat beers and stuff like that, which are known to be kind of acidic, a little bit bitter. Um, this is just like a smoother, creamier version of that. Well,
0: yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, most yeah. stouts are very creamy and smooth and sweet, right? Um, especially if you got a milk stout. And the other, like, if you think about the way that the other dragon milk stout, and it's barrel-aged, um, it, it's bourbon barrel-aged, so it's got those buttery notes, mm. and um, it's got some of that, like, kind of fruitiness that you get from bourbon with the um, maltiness and the sweet creaminess of a stout. All that stuff together uh, makes it, you know, a very pleasant drinking experience. I think this is, this captures that feel. It's just not as high a ABV, right? Um, yeah, so it, and, and it's got some of the flavors that you do get from a lighter beer, uh, in there too. So it's got some of the wheat flavors that I would expect from a, a whiter beer or Mm. a lighter beer. Um, but it's not quite as, um, astringent or, um, bitter because they're not, they're not focusing on the hops, uh, side of things. So it makes me happy. Um. <laughs> this is exactly the sort of thing that I love. I love when like New Holland does stuff like this, and mm. other companies they they throw something out there special. So, um, on the smell, the first time I smelled it, it's it smelled, you know, wonderful. And every time I smell it now, you know, that's just such a good beer. I think the the only thing, because it's got a nice clearness to it, and you know, it's, it, it it has, like, that kind of um, nice mouthfeel and everything. Mm. The, the only thing that I have really to complain about it is that it feels a little bit more... It doesn't... It, it's not quite like a stout, you know. It's, it's, it's pleasant and all those things, but it doesn't have that punch.
1: Yeah, it doesn't have kind of that, like, really dark richness that you expect yeah. from a stout. But this is pretty pleasant. I mean, I'll admit, if you were the kind of person that likes things like wheat beers, you'd probably like this. You know, I got a little concerned when I saw the color because you can really only get this color from either wheat or hops, and I was worried this was going to be like the IPA version of a stout. Mm-hmm. But this is pretty pleasant.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, I love it. I I wish that this was a regular beer that they would. It wouldn't stop me from drinking darker beers, but this would be my go-to light beer or yeah. white, you know lighter colored beer
1: yeah i wish we had a little bit more description on it because there's there's a little bit of like of a spice or a heat to this that i i'm not sure exactly what it is i mean it almost reminds me of like some of those jalapeno beers we've had where the heat Mm -hmm. doesn't stick around but there's definitely a spiciness just like directly on your tongue when you're drinking it
0: i think and I'll, i'll look up there um i'll look at their website but i think that 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 they on the box it had some uh the the packaging that it comes in i think it oh, had some description okay. on it uh, i don't know if you still have that or not
1: i know I, I broke the box up and recycled it pretty much as soon as i got it back in i just leave the beers like free sitting on the shelf
0: nice so actually it says dragon milk they must have they must have changed things because it says that the dragon milk white is available year-round. Nice. Um, Maybe
1: it just did really well.
0: Yeah, it must have. Um, let me see. Let me see. They have a special website just for Dragon's Milk. They've actually released some more that I haven't. I haven't seen. So <clears throat> it says uh, Dragon's Milk White is a nod to New Holland Brewing, twenty years of barrel-aged expertise and commitment to innovation in the name of flavor the next legend to unfold in the dragon's milk family, dragon's milk quite creates a full flavored yet lighter stout drinking experience that presents familiar flavors in a completely unexpected way. Um, vanilla, cocoa, coffee, roast, oak, um, from its time in bourbon barrels, drinker. So you're getting the spices coming from the oak that you're, you're getting there. Cause that's generally where you get that like kind of cinnamon and everything that you mm-hmm. normally get from. stuff. Yeah. Like
1: that. I wonder if it's just off of whatever that type of, bourbon
0: was well that that's how you get the so the the oak flavors and the bourbon butteriness and everything that all comes from the way that the bourbon interacts with oak and the alcohols in them and so you know my my non um scientific explanation here because i didn't expect for this to go down that direction but um yeah so the so it would be from the and and the alcohol that, that has you know seeped into it before. Neat. So um this is something that you and I do all the time. Even when we're not locked down, we work on uh mm-hmm. you know 365 all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um and I think it is new to some people who maybe only work occasionally or they work from home, or they don't really ever work from home, and now that they're having, they kind of look at something like this, and they're like, well, my job said I can work from home, but how do I do that? And, you know, I, I've, I've kind of, there's a lot of advice out there, and some of it's really bad. Uh, like, there's a lot, lot of um, popular channels that are out there, um, and news outlets and media that are telling people, you know, make it all about like comfort and things like that. And I don't know that that's not the right advice to give people. So yeah,
1: I'd say that. Before
0: I'd I start going down that route. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if people are going out there and saying, just make yourself as comfy as possible. I feel like that's bad. Advice. I feel like that's how you don't get too much done. You should definitely try to be comfortable. Like, you know, if you, ha- if you have to work from home, don't work off of your kitchen table off like a bar stool. With your kids and dog running around. Yeah, that's just going to add more stress to your life. Try and get your little space. Try and get, you know, whatever is kind of akin to what you're used to. If you're working on multiple monitors, try and get multiple monitors. You know, give yourself a workspace that's comfortable to be in. But at the same time, I've seen a lot of people who work from home kind of fall into that lull of, well, I'm at home, so it's hard for me to get engaged. You know, I take lots of breaks that are maybe too long. And I've done that before too sometimes when I'm not feeling well. The best advice I can give is just from my personal experience, is when I'm working at home, it works best for me if I make make a bunch of small goals. You know, it's harder I think at home with the distractions and just already being surrounded, like you could turn on a YouTube video if you needed a break that lasts too long. These like big, this is what I'm gonna do. For the next three days, can get away from you. So it's easier to procrastinate at home. But if you sit down, and you say, okay, this morning, what I wanna do, you know, I'll take like my Friday, they're generally shorter days. I have a bunch of meetings, like, okay, I gotta prepare my documentations for my meeting at noon. So that's gotta go first. Then after that, I gotta do a data sync, but the software to do the data sync, um, we didn't write the bulk upload function. So I need to write that. Let me write a little bit of code. Then we'll do the upload. And I'll watch it for an hour. And if it's after that, I'm pretty much good to go. And that's kind of how it went. I took one piece at a time, only took breaks after the first small goal was done, you know, take like 15 minutes to listen to music. Then I switched to the next small goal. And, you know, that gets everything done. That way you're not stressing. You don't ever hit that part where it's like, well, it's time for lunch. But, ooh, I haven't done more than check my email, you know?
0: Gotcha. I, you know, I actually, um, found, because I, I worked from home before I worked where we work now, mm-hmm. and um, when, when I did that, I found that I just treated everything like a task I had to do, so, you know, I just, I, I kind of got everything organized together, and I knew all the things that I needed to do, I knew all, everywhere I needed to go throughout the day. And all the people I needed to call or, you know, anything like that. And I just, you know, like you were saying, I segmented them up. And then I would go and perform all those tasks. And I could, you know, pretty much, after I got used to it, it took me a couple of weeks. But after I got used to it, I knew it would take me 10 minutes to do this, 15 minutes to do that, 20 minutes to make a phone call. You know, like whatever it is. And I could just kind of, I could plan out my day that way. And generally, I was within about an hour of you know, what, whatever it was that I knew I needed to do. The the thing that I found when I went back to work in the office is that I actually wasn't as, as efficient in an office because there are a lot more things that take up my time that are actual distractions because of the other people around me. They need something or they want to talk about something, you know, or something like that, and that takes away from my work. So since I went back to working from home full-time, um. What I found is that you know i'm I'm more efficient you know i you you know I get tons of work done <laughs> at home, and um I'm constantly got got my fingers in something or I'm you know manipulating something or I'm you know giving direction or i'm I'm getting into a lab or I'm doing something, but I have all that stuff kind of spaced out. The biggest problem I have now that everybody's working from home um you know, for, for me personally, is that everyone wants me to do something for them because they think I have the answer for whatever it is that their problem is. Uh, that's not a bad problem to have. That's a little off topic, though, from um, how to have like the best work from home experience. I think if it, dep- it depends on your personality, but if you're a person who is very task oriented, working from home is actually better for you than working in an office um and the reason i think that is you can you can control the flow of your work and if you want to get tons of work done in an hour you can and you just kind of break up your day you can set up your your organization and things like that and you don't have people that are generally going to come in this is a bit of a unique situation but generally going to come in and interrupt that Um, now for me, I think the first thing that you said is um, to get into a comfortable space is not necessarily the be- best advice, but it is important that you be in in like a comfort, let you be in some way comfortable where you can work, and I agree with that. I think you need to take it a step further though. You need whether it's in your your bedroom is your office or you know you've got a special room that's your office. You need to have a space that you can go into and leave and um, when you go into that room or that section of whatever it is or something like that and you sit down, then you are at work, Yeah. right? And so you can have a mark. So it needs to be a space that's quiet, that's comfortable that you can do whatever you need to do. Um, if you need to sit back and read or think or you know write or whatever it is, you can do all those things and you aren't going to have distractions. Um, one of the biggest mistakes I think that people, especially right now, they make is that, um, and I've heard this from, from a few people, is that they make that a joined space. So they kind of treat their um, office space in their home Like their office space at work. And so they have someone else working there with them. And oftentimes that doesn't work because you don't have dividers that absorb sound and things like that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you really can't maximize out that space. And when people interrupt you when you're doing work, it's really, it it really can be, um, uh, you know, jarring at home. Um, And so I would, I would advise that you have a separate space that you do these things. And then yeah, you Yeah, have... I completely agree
1: with that. I mean, you can't if you're like trying to work with someone you're both sitting on the same couch, you both sitting at the kitchen table, it's not going to work out. I mean, even, you know, my office, when I'm not using it for work, this is where I game. We uh cuz I got sick a while back, we moved to bed in here, and I haven't taken it out yet. So like last night, I was sitting, you know, watching a YouTube video. My wife was playing a video game. You know, this was Saturday. But even then, that was distraction. Like we couldn't keep on track, relaxing, because we were just, you know, talking or you know, we'd make comments to each other and stuff. So imagine how much harder that's going to be when you're trying to work. Yeah,
0: exactly. And and you know, you you need the right equipment. So that's something else that you said. You know, number number one is you know to be in a professionally comfortable space where you can be efficient. Number two is to be in uh, or, or to have all of the proper equipment if you normally work at a desk in, in your you know office whatever you work at and you have three monitors and your laptop is in a docking station try to replicate that as best you can at home if you have a desk use the desk if you have if you if your company will let you either bring home those monitors or you have some monitors or some, something like that that you can use try to replicate that mm-hmm. try to use almost exactly the same equipment um, because then you're going to be more productive. And I think, thirdly, um, you need something that is going... And this isn't something that you hit on, but this goes to the, you know, equipment phase of things. It's very important that you have something that allows you to emulate your office network experience. So if you use G Suite and, you know, or O365, and you're really... Your office network is no different than your home network because you just connect up to some Wi-Fi and... You just sign in on that and basically everything's done in the browser. Try to make that same experience at home. If you have like a complex network where you have to use a Ethernet jack and, you know, you need to have a, a VoIP phone and you need all this other stuff, you need to try to emulate that and, and how that works at your home. Um, and that may mean some complexity. It may mean that you need to buy more equipment. It may need, mean that you need to run some wireless live- Ethernet there's there's a lot of things that you can do there to 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 make that happen so i think regardless of what what advice is out there it's very important to consider what your work like work life work life experience is when working in the office and try in some way, to organize your experience at home so you have that same discipline. Um, and I think you'll find yourself much more um, much more um, efficient at home than, than you probably even are in the office. Um, so I don't need socialization. I don't think you do either. Right, Ricky?
1: Not really. I mean, I get enough meetings in to be my socialization.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so I think, I think there are some people they need that kind of talk. In most, most places they're trying to give advice to people that need that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I, I think that that is not, that is actually something that we need to kind of get rid of. It is not useful as much for, um, being able to actually get work done. Now, if your job requires you kind of schmooze and stuff like that, that's a little bit different Then maybe those water cooler type talks are necessary. And sometimes plan, some of the best planning things happen in those hallway conversations. So I'm, I'm not saying that they're never useful. What I am saying is that when we're talking about getting work done, there is a difference between being efficient and being socialized. And I think that most of the things that that people are giving advice about are ways that you can stay socialized while you're at home, because they they equate that to working, uh, and that's not necessarily the same thing. Um, and yeah. I think I, I, th- I think I think that's one D mark we need to make.
1: That's true, but I think on one hand, you know, I have worked with people and known people that to be. Efficient. I mean, well, let's take a step back then. To be efficient, you have to have some level of morale. You know, if you are not comfortable, you're not in a good mindset. You can't really get your work done to the the level of quality you would if you were. And as much as generally the introverts kind of get the the kick of, well, you know, they're off doing their own thing. They don't they don't go out and do stuff. They're all fuddy duddy. You know, extroverts need some amount of human interaction to keep their morale up so you know i've talked to some people on the team who are more you know light butter social butterfly people and they, they found some hard things i've gotten a few phone calls from people just like hey i just i gotta talk to somebody for a little bit how you do and i haven't talked to you in a little while so at some level you do need to accommodate those things but i, I think you're you're right on the key point that the point of work is not just to socialize. At some level, you have to prepare people to actually do their work from home. Um, but there are you do got to think about, if you're one of those people that you know you need 45 minutes of talking to somebody a day, how you're going to get that. And one thing I've done with people, not generally necessarily for the idea of socializing, but it has led to that, is working sessions. If you've got a coworker that does something similar to you, And your business is incorporating some sort of like meeting software, like WebEx or GoToMeeting. Hop in a meeting. You know, not necessarily sit there. And your goal is just to talk to them, but do your work like you would if you were at your desk. You know, you'll make a comment to your, you know, coworker every now and then. They'll comment back. It can get you back into that more in the office feel, where if you have somebody there, you can talk to them for a little bit of banter if you need to
0: absolutely I, I i i don't want to seem like i was saying you should never socialize i was just saying more the advice that i'm that i've seen and not all advice is bad that, that's out there around these things and some of it's like you know get in a meeting do do some of the things that you're suggesting where you you work at the same time uh, on something if, if it's very similar use some collaboration software to be able to make things happen um you know even like if you've got like google docs or something you can can edit the thing at the, if you're working on the same thing you can edit it at the same time or something like that those things are all they're they're all good and well um but and they may be part of that structure that you need to have for whatever your job is so i was trying to keep it a little bit just more like generalized because maybe you're a person who works in graphic design and really you're the only person who does that thing in your business um and so like you need to you know, like you you need to understand that there's there there's like a way to get efficient work done. And you probably do, so you know what that is. Um, and you've just never worked at home before. So you're kind of scratching your head and saying, Well, you know, I don't really have all of the stuff that I have in the office. Well, that's a problem. So you probably need to talk to your boss about how do you replicate uh, even even if it's just for like two months, you still that's two months of work you need to do. How do you replicate your yeah working environment with your office environment and at, at home and how do you have, you know, a quiet uh, r- room experience and how do you do this and how do you do that? Um, and the, those are all things that that doesn't really have anything to do with most of the advice that we are getting, you know, get in, get, uh, use whatever app, WebEx, GoToMeeting, um, you know, I, I hate to mention Zoom, but if you're using Zoom, Whatever app that you're using to socialize, that's great, uh, and those are important things. Morale is super important, but uh, the biggest part of uh, you know a, a tip that I would give is that is a secondary morale is secondary to the efficiency you need to have. Once you're set up and you're you've got your workflow in place, you get some good morale points in place. But if you only focus on the socialization aspects and how to how to make it so that you can have like a collaborative effort first and you're not setting yourself up to be in a quiet space and be able to be focused on everything. You're then going to have issues. And really, if you think about it, all this stuff's kind of common sense, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Don't,
0: don't, don't sit there and, and watch YouTube videos all day or watch TV. But it also, I mean, like did you do that at, at the office. Maybe you had some music playing in the background and had, on you can totally do that at home too it's not like that's a that's a big shift and so do some things to normalize your work experience that are very similar to what you did in the office that will make um your your experience better that's probably more in line with uh, having a successful work from home experience Mm -hmm. Well, oh, I just went on a rabbit trail there didn't I sorry <laughs> ah, right. um so let's talk about uh social distancing app um so that you know north uh, South Korea I almost said North Korea South Korea um, they've been fairly effective at um, getting back to work after the whole quarantine situation has happened for uh, and one of the things they've touted is being able to use a social distancing app that helped them to identify people that came in contact with other people who were known to have um, the, you know, the the virus that we're trying to avoid right now. And so they, you know, were able to like be quarantined and things like that. So we've been floating that idea around here in Western, especially the United States, starting to talk about having a social distancing app, and uh, our president um, has said that Google and other companies like that were going to to develop a website or something like that that would be able to tell us, uh, you know, more information and help us avoid things. Um, and even uh, Google and Apple have said that they're working on some sort of social distancing app that works together using Bluetooth low energy um from your cell phone now they they would be doing this without like some sort of government oversight or regulation in the u.s probably now maybe in other places they wouldn't and i know there's you know like in in the uk and uh europe you have some other regulations that fall into place that may limit some of these things but in america we don't as much so from this is mostly an America centric topic, uh, just because of the concerns that kind of go there. But this could be you know this could become like a problem or maybe it's the save saving grace for us all. Um, it, it actually ended up causing a fight between me and my wife when we started talking about this um, because i'm I'm kind of passionate about my 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 thoughts about privacy and things like that. Um, so what what do you think about this, this topic?
1: i don't know i mean on one hand we've already lost this battle like i feel like the topic to talk about is okay they're going to build an app that tracks you but then also tracks all the people close to you and that's scary but those things already exist half the gps's out there work that way uh any of the ones that have these like social things built into them it's not just You know, Here's where you go. They're already looking at where you are, what restaurants you've been near. They know how many people and what people have been in that restaurant to tell you how busy it is because they're all already connected anyway. So, no, I personally don't like that. That's why I don't leave my GPS apps on when those things, uh, you know, if I go anywhere, the only time I'll ever keep my location data on is when I'm driving somewhere and then I immediately turn it off on the phone level because I don't want people knowing that information. But I mean, ultimately that's what this is. Now, if it became mandated, Oh, Hey, everybody has to install it. I'd have some freedom concerns about that. But
0: well, that that's the the thing that they're talking about doing is every built into the OS of every operating system that uses Bluetooth low energy to be able to tell you who you come within a certain amount of feet of another person. And then there's a unique identifier that's tied to that person that would tell you if that person has, um, and it's it's based off the Bluetooth beacon, right? But uh, so it's even more pinpoint than.
1: Yeah, and I I get that. But at the same level, it comes with whether or not you have control over it. Yes, you know, like I can turn the Bluetooth radio off on of my phone and just not leave it turned on. I could not install whatever app it is they're going to put together. If those things are optional, then there's not much to say about it, I think, because people have already signed those rights away. And if they are the people inclined to do it, they'll do it. But if they're going to say, well, we're going to enforce that these things exist on your phone, regardless of what you as a person want, that leads to a lot of privacy concerns for me.
0: I think the idea is that so you couldn't this wouldn't be effective unless you um, the phone is able to keep that information so the app would be like a default app for any of those and you couldn't uninstall it um, there may be some toggles that you can turn on and off to where um, you know if you're at home or on your wife, you don't you it it doesn't you know, like do any sensing or anything like that but um, I, I believe the idea is that you, you don't have control over when it turns on and off. Um, yeah, if you don't have so. control
1: over it, then that's, that's pretty not okay. I certainly, I, I mean, at that point, I might just switch to a flip phone. <laughs> like, I'd just get a phone that doesn't have the features required to do it, because um, that is a complete total invasion of privacy. And it's like a slippery slope. It's like as soon as you start saying, okay, it's all right to monitor with incredible accuracy where anyone is at any time, you know. Not even talking about, like, government-level abuse. Where could that be used to restrict your freedom? Just imagine data like that gets leaked. Data gets leaked every day. Yeah. Imagine, like, oh, well, this particular version of Apple on this particular phone has a vulnerability. And now, you know, one million people can have their exact location tracked by whoever wants to. You know, that stuff happens. And... Uh
0: I, no, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you.
1: No, I was just ranting about the privacy of it. It's like you got to really think about not just what the data can be used for for good. You got to think about if it gets to the wrong hands, what can the data be used for bad things.
0: So, so my my take on this is a bad idea. And ninety five percent of of what you're saying, I completely agree with. Even if it's not optional, um, the fact that it's something that would be like an app or like that means that that functionality is going to be there and the way that our phones are made now they're made and they're very on almost every level um and I just I feel like this is the, this is one of those moments where we're scared and we we're something we to be done to be able to give us a set of options to be able to make sure that we're safe but we can't ever take this back so it's not like we can flip a switch and say okay well you know we don't have somebody that is the lucius fox uh with the big brother machine that batman created and they're just gonna shut it off you know um we don't have something like that what we have is a group of people that they're thinking okay well this is a good thing to do right now, and it's going to save this many lives and all this other stuff. And we don't care what's going to happen next generation or us in years. We'll deal with that when it happens. That's a problem for tomorrow us. And and we've already we've already done that. So many things. Um, you know, we've got uh, the advertising thing where we're like, okay, well, we need to we need to find some X, Y, and Z things on the internet. And instead of building a secure advertising network, what we've done is we built one that was just kind of cobbled together, um, and we have some that are a little bit better. Like, but for the most part, all advertising networks have flaws where malicious code can be uploaded to your devices through your web browser, especially mm-hmm. if you you know use the right extensions. That and now people to stay safe, they're having to basically put all these things in that, you know, kill the the efficiency and the speed of their web browser. Or there's so much malware there that it's just, uh, all, when you load up a certain web browser, all the tracking scripts and everything make it slow. Um, the, there's a guy named Brian Lundu who talks about that. This is going to be the same sort of thing. And so I know that there's a huge difference between even my attitude Yours, because you know you you grew up pretty much not having some of the the freedoms and the privacy that I had, and I watched as all that stuff was just kind of given away for convenience. This would be another situation like that, and I think I mean you know this is a debate that is going to be more like a, you know in t- in ten years. Well, this is what we we bought for our ability to track people sick. Um, But when we have a vaccine for this or any other super bug that we run run across, then we don't need this anymore. The companies that are building this aren't building it free. They're going to use it. And I'd be willing to bet that in five, three, two, whatever the amount of years, we're going to see that the network and the apps that North Korea built, or I keep saying North Korea, Korea. I mean South Korea. And, and that that they built there um, are unless the government really heavily uh, regulates them, are going to be used in ways that they weren't intended for, and the data is going to be taken from them and to advertise or manipulate. People that that's not what that was intended to do to begin with. I mean, um, I'll, I th- I'll
1: admit I, mean, I agree with everything you're saying, but that's not even my primary concern because I feel like the technology they're using already exists and is already used like you think about how do these apps these games that are like oh you know you went and collected something over here or the hey you walked past x person you know here's their trade gym or whatever you know those things already exist and they're heavily used my concern is the more this is we feel that we can mandate your privacy that level of okay when is it okay to push information to a customer's private device? Like my, I own my cell phone. That cell phone is mine. It's private property. And, but someone can come in and say, well, you know, because of X issue, it's okay for us to take control of that device and put these new restrictions on it. You know, you have to have this app running or you don't get to have, or, you know, or there's legal consequences. You know, that's the part that scares me. Is when you're that, saying, that, that's
0: exactly where i'm going next i'm yeah. saying i have this concern that doesn't seem to be as much of a problem for you with that but that's been a concern that i've had forever and we've talked about before and then on top of that we've got this thing that we're getting the, the, there's no regulation on it and it seems to be like a government sanctioned way of controlling the populace which is not good because yeah that makes
1: like... way too much of like the debt the social debt system of China because they use a similar thing over there, you know they've got these social you know credit apps where it'll tell you when you're near somebody who has like bad social credit yep like that's just nuts you know it's the slippery slope of not just what can it be used for today it's what what will it be used for tomorrow
0: exactly, and so i think I think that's something that we need to be very mindful of as human beings and you know in this talk we're talking about as you know us citizens but globally we should also be very conscious of this because companies like they're the companies that are using these things even though they may have social responsibility clauses and all this other stuff they're still there to make a profit and just because the company is not evil doesn't mean that they don't have company who are willing to do unscrupulous things mm-hmm. and then even on top of that if they've created this backdoor or this thing or this detection app or whatever at some point there's going to be a vulnerability in code the because we aren't good at making things that are super secure on the devices that we currently have you know we've we well, look at any anything well intel yeah. management intel management flaws well yeah uh, but it, know, i just had
1: a different take on the same idea and yeah. you're right we don't do a good job securing things. But I feel like the core issue with that is not necessarily we don't know how to secure it or we're not good at securing. It's just the same people that secure it generally have the same education as the people that break it. You know, it's not like it's some, you know, malicious, who knows who these people are sort of bad people. There are also people with comp degrees who probably have tons of years of experience breaking into things. So, you know, it's like if you know how to build a house, you know how to tear down a house. So that's kind of part of where I think that struggle always is, is that as soon as the newest secure technology comes out, the people that also break into the stuff are smart enough to know how it works. They're smart enough to try and get around some of this stuff when they can. So even the small little, you know, let's say there's a thousand bugs and you fix 999. You know, you still got really smart people looking for that one bug you didn't catch.
0: So it, it's it's kind of like with like law enforcement or something like that. You're, you're always, you're, you're never going to make something that's so secure that nobody's ever going to be able to. You're never going to make something that is that is able, to, you, you have the so many police officers or so many security guards or whatever, that they're going to be everywhere all the time seeing everything and able to or interdict on every single crime that's happening there's too many vectors for that to happen and so the way that we've built things is for us to have all these ways of accessing them and for that very reason you can't secure them as is, is my point uh there's always it's always a moving target and you can put you can create patches but that's always reactionary so This is one of those things where at some point, someone's going to get access to it. You're going to have an old version of code, or you're going to have an unpatched app, or something like that. It's going to give someone access to this network, and then they're going to be able to use the the information from it to do something. Right. So yeah, I'm not disagreeing with anything that you're saying. Not not at all. I just was going in the in the in the exact direction that you're going in. But on top of that for people that either do or don't understand this, it's not that that the people that have comp side degrees are bad or good. It's that there's the, the way that this is inherently designed is for it to be open and people to be able to manipulate it. And just because of that reason, you can't have something that's super highly secure. You have to have a separate network that has this using separate equipment that is completely locked down and there's very, you know, limited access to things and stuff like that. And even then you have to be proactive about how you're changing things. You have to make it a moving target for people to be able to get into, not a moving target for you to be able to secure. So, yeah. I mean, Do, do you have anything else you want to say about that? <laughs> I feel like we just, you know, like went through two really heavy topics there. <laughs> Um. yeah, so, uh, did, have you heard that there's a six-month extension on Cisco certs?
1: I had not. I'll have to look into that and see if uh, where that sits. Well, of course, I think my, my cert got renewed when I took my most recent test.
0: It did. But it's it, it's it good re- that
1: they're extending them because it's going to take people a while. I was worried about those people that uh, were studying for an exam and then they get a chance to take it before the cutoff happened. So to give them a couple months to study the new material is nice.
0: So They're giving everybody um, six extra months because of this problem with COVID. Uh, but they're also um, giving everybody uh, the ability to take tests online. Um, now, it's, there's some restrictions and things like that, but you don't have to go into a testing center. And that may become the new norm right. for a lot of the Pearson VUE tests. Yeah.
1: What are uh, those restrictions?
0: Uh I don't know all the restrictions you have to go to the Pearson view site to see it but I think basically you have to be on a like a Windows computer with certain with a certain browser and stuff like that.
1: Wow, that's awful. I I'd be I'll be honest I like Pearson has to continue. But I would fight very heavily against that becoming the new norm. Because that just opens yourself up to so many people. It's like imagine that we already have issues. Um with people cheating on their certification exams. I mean, yeah. I've talked to some people that are in charge of doing these certification programs and they tell me like in certain areas of the world, it's super common for people to like almost every person they test to have tried to snuck in a camera to record all the questions because they yeah. they're do not they not going to try and pass it the first time. They're just going to try and memorize everything to pass it the second time yeah. and stuff like that. And that stuff just becomes so easy. I mean, I guess the only thing I know some places have done this before generally for like higher level government certs and security stuff is you have to have like a webcam on you at all times so they can try and within you know that's also got its own privacy concerns but you know like when I went into my Pearson center the the one down here in Kerry there was a camera in every room and then when you actually got to the exam place there was like five of them everybody had a camera at their desk looking down at like they were there to watch you to make sure you're not busting out a camera or something and you know if you don't do this stuff right i mean what's to stop somebody from having their cell phone right below the screen and they're just looking up answers as they take these exams
0: yeah i mean the the the, there is no good answer but i also think from the other side of it if you don't if you don't let people take these exams during this time then you're going to have to have some other way of vetting professionals or you're going to run you're going to run dry of people yeah that i are do affordable. agree
1: you got to loosen you got to loosen some of the chains in you know when people are in lockdown and stuff like that so like if it's you know like this until things open up again i completely get it because you're not really getting systematic problems in a couple months of a system being a bit more relaxed because most of right. these certification tests also refresh their questions every couple months, so it's not that big a deal you get a couple people to slide through, but you know most of the time people who get their search and they don't have the information don't stay in the profession very long you know you might get hired for the job, but you're not going to stay at the job if you don't know what you're doing um, yeah, but it, 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 the idea it, it would become the new normal that i might I might push well,
0: against i say but I think that until we have some sort of vaccine for this problem, that may mean that we have to do something like this. Cause I mean, even going into, there's no way that you can go into a center like, this, you know, and, and, and not have some sort of close contact with another human being. And then you don't know where that person's been. And that's how these things spread. And if you have someone so basically what you're saying is, well, if you're diabetic, asthmatic, um, or something like that, I'm sorry, you can't work in the profession.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's not what I'm saying at all. No, no, well, I, know, I know that's not
0: what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But if you, what I'm if getting you at is, you know, you have, that's what you're saying.
1: Yeah, we um, can continue to operate like this when there is a threat. You know, when we say however many months this takes, now even if this takes two years, if we have to do that for two years, I think that's fine because there's at a certain level where the sanctity of the certification can be diminished because you still need people to be able to take it. You know, it's not safe for people to take it in the normal way.
0: Yeah, exactly. But to
1: say like, you know, when this is over, that it which was always should always you know, be online, that's that's gonna face some pushback. Because that's been a big blocker universities that do online classes Mm -hmm. Um, because I've taken some of those and there were huge problems with stuff like that. Even with universities trying to fight it, there was like a particular piece of software you had to install. You took the test in that and it kind of like full screened and you couldn't go out of it. There was still nobody stopping you from getting like your cell phone out. And I know some of the remote testing they've had to do for public schools is the ones where like they have the camera on you to try and stop you from, you know, Having somebody there telling you all the answers, you know, there's some real concerns about people who abuse those systems, but they don't override the need for like somebody's help.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and the people that, are, that I th- I think that we'll find that while there are people that culturally, uh, you know, their their culture says it's okay to abuse the system, there are a lot of people out there too who just wouldn't. They don't they don't see the need to do it because they know the material. Um, I think. I think that there and and there's also the the problem of punishing someone that's not doing something because someone else is doing something wrong by enacting very harsh measures. so I think that that um what we're gonna end up having to do is we're gonna have to change the way that testing is done going forward, so there's gonna be a new norm, probably not going to be an online experience where you can just go to your computer and and do that but maybe there's a way you can schedule a test and testing centers have things more segregated um, where you know you don't go into a room with a bunch of other people uh, you don't touch the same board you don't do all the same stuff like you have some stuff that's maybe um, yeah, I think that's more far more likely. Room. Yeah, that, that's, that's yeah. kind of the direction I was going with. Yeah, it.
1: I've been in some testing centers that are actually like that. When I was getting my uh, comps high certification, the center was really individual rooms. I think there was one larger room since I think some tests that aren't like IT searches, they did a whole bunch of stuff. Maybe you're allowed some level of collaboration. But like when they checked me in, I sat in the lobby that realistically they would just restrict how many people can be in that lobby and then i went to my testing room which was just a small little room smaller than like my home office that had the computer in it and you took it there and it just had a little camera on you to make sure you didn't do anything
0: yeah uh, so yeah, yeah
1: i can definitely see those sort of things becoming more common you're not in the room with 30 other people i think i might have i don't know if i ever talked about it in the podcast but i told you individually of like when i went to my most recent testing center that was so big and there were people in there crying because they knew they were failing their test oh yeah really not, sad. yeah but, uh, I died, yeah, I
0: got a similar experience. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> can definitely
1: way? see we start making these things smaller. You know, testing centers become a bunch of single person rooms instead of a bunch of other rooms. You know, they get cleaned in between when people take the test and stuff like that. Yeah, that's
0: basically. kind of where
1: I'm envisioning this goes as opposed to online. Just because there's um, a lot of stuff wrapped up in that.
0: There, in the, there may also be an option where there are some online things because like, I, I went to school virtually uh, for my second degree uh, or my, my degree uh, not second degree but second time I went to school and without making it a, a very long explanation there were ways that, that we were able to do that that didn't require us taking a multiple choice multiple choice tests are the easy, easiest way to do certain things but there are you know writing essays and stuff like that and, and then you have plagiarism software that can determine you um, if if you're actually plagiarizing something, so being able to explain something in your own words is a good way of getting a litmus test for how some how well someone understands technology or the way that something works or something like that.
1: So. Yeah, to, to some level. <clears throat> the only reason I push back as much as I do is I I did take a couple online courses at my university and they were within they weren't the comp sci department they're the IT department. The only IT courses I took because they were required for the major which were really, they were kind of stupid. I've told you before, like no one ever told, taught me how to fix a computer and they didn't. This was like, how do you use Word really well? or Like the office suite really well? Like how do all these like formulas and stuff work? But, you know, when I was taking those classes, that was something I brought up to the professor since they would do these like little virtual rooms where you could still talk to your professor during office hours and stuff. It was like, why aren't there more classes online? And he's like, you know, because we saw a massive tank in people's, you know, plagiarism. I mean, was—I can see the plagiarism. I don't know exactly how they calculate the metric, but they had a way of just seeing the shift of how many people are getting what grades on this from the when it's taught in the classroom and when it's taught online. And it was a huge skew. You know, he said they had problems with why they're not in the comp sci department because the comp sci department was accredited. And if they let that stuff fly under the accredited program, they'd, get, they'd lose their accreditation because there were so many people cheating. I mean, he threw out to me he thought it was more than fifty percent of the students.
0: See, I, I disagree with people. that. From from all of my experience with uh, online learning, um, that that's that is not that's not necessary. That that means that your system is broken, not necessarily that online is not good. Um, and there are some things that would be harder to to prevent things on. But um, so, for instance, you know, things where you have to have um, that, you know, like it's a very non-conceptual sort of thing where you can't explain it. You have to, um, you know, give like a, a an A-B kind of comparison and basically you choose like an answer or something like that. Those are things that you can you can probably always find that there's going to be a, a number of people that are going to cheat, um, but that that is that's not always the way it works. And if you train people to um, you know t- to to work a certain way from the from the moment that they're you know kind of brought up, you're going to find that 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 it is you, you have. You have a certain populace, just like you do in school, they're always going to try to cheat. They're always going to try to do something. They're going to plagiarize. They're going to do some stuff. And there's no amount of that that you're going to be able to stop. Um, and you're probably going to have a rash of people who make some bad decisions when they when they first get access to this because they think, oh, nobody will ever know. Um, but overall, um, once this becomes the norm, That is not, you know, if you make it accessible for people, they will, they'll do it the right way. I mean, that's what we found with most piracy things, right? We, the more we, so that people were, you know, this is wrong. We're, we're hammering down on this, you know, whatever. And we weren't giving people alternatives, telling them you're stealing, you're doing this, you're doing that. They just continue to do it because you weren't giving them alternative options. But as soon as the music industry started making things cheap uh, or inexpensive and accessible, the piracy, you know, for those things dropped off dramatically. Uh, Now we still have like a certain amount of people that are going to do that, but they were the people that were going to do that anyway. They were the people that were going to steal stuff anyways. And that's, that's always been that way. (laughs) Like when you had a certain percentage of people that walked into a store and you knew that they were going to steal things going to put them under their shirt or they were going to drop a book in their pants or you know grab a dvd or a cd or a blu-ray or whatever it was and that's why we have loss prevention people you know and this is the same sort of thing um so i do disagree with that assessment a bit even even if there were some some numbers there i think that the the numbers are probably skewed by some by not taking certain things into account you know Yeah,
1: well, we'll see. He had some pretty strong arguments on his end. You know, they eventually got that number down, which is how they were allowed to continue to keep the course up. But, you know, he said they had tons of problems with, since there were like multiple classes that are taught at the same time, but they don't take all their tests all at the same time. There were people, you know, basically, if they took their test four hours earlier, they'd record down all the questions and email it out. And then you have people showing up, and they knew that was a problem because when they implemented the, boom, there's going to be different questions. They're very similar, but they're a little bit different. People started, you know, getting those answers wrong, and they start the numbers start to correct. You know, for a university, and you've got four classes of people, and they're going to take the test, you know, one time. Yeah, that sort of stuff worked. But when you start scaling it up to these IT certs, and you start saying, well, even if we change our questions, every month someone's going to come in on day one take the test you know realistically because there's big pools we will get a bunch of people to come take this test and then they will still have all the answers there and i feel at some level you have protection from those people because to not have the answers in front of you just people like walk in with nothing you still have to know so much information to pass That's why you know why i feel our current system is kind of secure there's still people that try and cheat but you can't cheat that well because you know you gotta leave your phone there. You bring out notes, they'll see you. But you know, for an online test, there's no like, even if you do have to like type in, you have to understand these two things. If you have the answers a little bit in advance, you can prepare your own work. Suddenly that one hour time limit doesn't matter. You have two weeks to write out your answers in your head. And then you just gotta do them the day of you
0: know what's the difference between knowing the answer that well I, that, that's a different different topic but i, I will leave you because we we went for, for returned a turned to 30 minute show into an hour show yeah <laughs> but, but but just and and not that i want to have the final word what is the difference between knowing the answer because you studied for it and knowing the answer because someone gave you stuff in preparation and said these could be the answers and you had to like study those answers.
1: Yeah. Well I think there's a huge difference and I'll and I can answer to it immediately. What's the difference between knowing the answers to only what's on the ass on the test and what's the difference between knowing all the information that was in the textbook? You know, you can't ask everybody everything. And so you get a lot of people that only know what was on the test as opposed to what they should have learned getting there.
0: I totally agree with you, but when you go into complex topics if If you don't, like, you you have to know something about what it is that you're...
1: Yeah, I mean, at a high enough level, you know, do I think the CCIE will ever get messed up? No. You know, do I think the highest level Microsoft search will get messed up? No. What I do believe, if you start letting everybody test online, everybody's going to have a CCNA. Everybody's going to have the second level comp tie search, you know, because those don't really get into it heavily enough that you can detect those things.
0: I'm not sure I agree, but, I, I mean, I, I I think that ultimately, I don't think that's what's going to happen anyways, is that we're going to have type t- Yeah, I plan. think
1: we'll see more accessible in-person options, as opposed to kind of the strict sort of guidelines we have now. It'll be more accommodating.
0: Or we you know, have some, some other solution like that. that happens with, like, a dedicated machine or something like that, where people... They, maybe they, they have to, like, do virtualization into that machine.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. some testing software that exists today that they use for, like, public universities, and I think some, like, high schools use them, where, like, it'll detect if you have multiple monitors, so you can't have that. you, know, you got to get down to one, and it locks your screens. You can only be inside the testing app. And then, you know, you got to have a webcam that they'll send you if you don't have one, but you got to have the webcam on, to, you know, that's in full view of you, like, a certain amount of your desk space. Has to be viewed. And, you know, they run with that. And I kind of don't like that because I don't like the, you're in my home with the webcam sort of thing. Because I feel like that's a little bit more privacy invasion y. But, you know, maybe something like that that's a little bit more secure goes through.
0: Yeah. You know, that, that, that it's going to be something like that one way or the other. There's probably going to be options both on both sides of it. So this has been the, sixth episode of season three of the beer and broadband podcast um we're very long in the tooth this time <laughs> so i'm going to make this uh this a quick ending thank you for listening and uh, appreciate your time